Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. It's been a difficult year for many in Colorado law enforcement between the pandemic and the growing chorus of calls for police reform. In today's show, we explore how one Colorado community is working to change its culture around policing and how it's addressing the issue of officers leaving the force. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Policing and how to reform it has been in the national spotlight in communities across the country this past year. Things have already been difficult in Colorado because of the pandemic, and this effort is yet another stressor for a group that experiences high rates of mental health struggles. During today's Colorado edition, we're going to take an in-depth look at how these issues are impacting law enforcement in Boulder County. KUNC's Lee Patterson gets us started. But first, a warning. This story explicitly mentions violence and mental health challenges and may not be suitable for all listeners. There's a lot of content on Vinny Montez's <laughs> Facebook page. See my Videos of him singing, goofing around, performing. He's a comedian from Boulder, broad-shouldered and stocky with a huge smile. He's also a cop, a commander with the Boulder County Sheriff's Office. One of the videos has nearly three million views, and it's a really serious one. It's Vinny in his patrol car listing off some of the things he's seen on the job, like showing up on the scene of a teen suicide. Do you know what it's like to say, I'm sorry for your loss, and not be able to get the sound of the family member's agonizing screams out of your mind? Or a car accident. Do you know what it's like to give CPR to a 17-year-old kid, to be covered in blood, to do everything you can to save his life, but then have him die anyway? He also talks about stepping over a dead body like a sack of potatoes while trying to save others. Do you know what it's like to try and forget about what you've seen, smelled, tasted, felt, heard, and touched? Well, I do. And maybe give us a little credit for undertaking an incredibly complex and challenging job. He posted this video last June while protests were happening all over the country. People were demanding change, calling out racism, violence, and over-policing ignited by the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, but born out of the distrust and trauma that many communities of color have lived with for a long time. Colorado lawmakers had just passed Senate Bill 217, the Enhanced Law Enforcement Integrity Act, which was backed by Democrat Leslie Harrod and had bipartisan support. So I want y'all to know that your voices and your cries have been heard. Among its many provisions, the legislation changes the rules around deadly force, body cameras, and officer liability. Uh, I felt like we were on an island for a little while, and I felt like we were alone. Mostly because of messaging like ACAB, all cops are bastards. You're seeing a lot of social media, you know, calling for the defunding of cops, and you see people marching in the streets saying, kill the cops. Wow, that's a lot to take in. Add in the COVID-19 pandemic and you had the perfect recipe for low morale and struggling officers. For many, all of this was layered on top of existing mental health struggles. 
This is really hard stuff to get cops to talk about, but it's an important issue for Vinny, and he wanted to speak up. I, I didn't want to make a video that was attacking anybody um, because that doesn't help things. I just wanted to share my perspective. And I want people to know that these men and women, they're battling with things. In a 2018 survey conducted by NBC News and the Fraternal Order of Police, a national membership organization, nearly 80% of officers reported overwhelming stress on the job. A majority say this has led to lingering emotional issues, like becoming easily angered, trouble sleeping, and relationship problems. It was a heavy season. It's been a heavy season for about a year and a half. That's Boulder County Sheriff Joe Pelly. He worked on the police reform bill at the request of other sheriffs in the state. I got engaged in that, and that turned out to be a marathon, high-stress deal. And in the meantime, our county's covered with ash and smoke from the wildfires. It was, it was dark. The Boulder County Sheriff's Office offers a variety of mental health services, like therapy through an employee assistance program, but much of it is voluntary. The department doesn't require yearly behavioral health screenings. Some counseling is required, though, following certain traumatic events. We've done a good job of making services available, I believe. What we haven't done a good job with and what we're trying to develop right now is that level of self-awareness and self-assessment. But Pelly's employees have been getting more help since the start of the pandemic. The department's chaplains and peer support teams have been busy. They're doing more outreach. And the department contracts with a team of psychologists whose workload has doubled. All of this is going on. And then in March, this. We begin tonight with the horrific scene playing out late today in Boulder, Colorado. The King Super shooting shocked the community. He went in the store. Oh, my God. Ten people God, were killed people by a gunman, including an officer with the Boulder Police Department, Eric Talley. And I have a couple of deputies who were at King Supers and who were shot at and who have to help recover Officer Talley and stand guard over him. And they're, they're hurting. So we're trying to help them uh, as best we can and keep them engaged with professional assistance. This is one of the places many cops can go for help. So I'm the wellness director for the Colorado Fraternal Order of Police. Rebecca Allenson, who was a police officer herself for 18 years, says the need for counseling has gone through the roof over the past year. The fragility of the officers needing the services has increased. You have a very big gap between the officers' experience and then those members, those vocal members on one side who very much think that it is all about violence and it is all about, you know, racism. And, and I think the truth is somewhere in between. Researchers surveyed officers in Los Angeles and Columbus, Ohio, following protests in those cities last summer. They reported high levels of stress and universally low morale. Protesters described police aggression towards them using chemicals and rubber bullets. Researchers recommended that leadership address everyone's trauma if they hope to reform policing. The situation varies across the country. Many communities experience small or sporadic protests. Allenson says here she's seeing pre-existing trauma coupled with new stressors, pushing some officers to take time off from work. It's impacting my family. It's impacting my ability on the job to be cognitively sharp so that I can be safe, so I can keep other people safe. How related is mental health and wellness 
to being able to serve properly. 100 trillion percent related. And this is the part that we are not talking about. And that's why mental health for the officers, in my opinion, needs to be where we put the money. Little research exists showing a direct link between poor mental health and harmful outcomes like excessive use of force. Instead, many advocates and citizens have argued for solutions like less policing and for routing law enforcement dollars elsewhere. Darren O'Connor, the criminal justice committee chair for the NAACP of Boulder County, says these solutions can coexist. You know, defund the police isn't saying end the police force. It's apply them appropriately. And it's appropriate to have police officers who are in a good mental state. But he says the reform priorities for this NAACP chapter focus on implicit bias, jail conditions, and giving police oversight groups real enforcement power. State Representative Leslie Harrod argues that officer well-being has already been a part of the national conversation. I mean, we saw the officers who were involved in the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Four have since died by suicide. We need to have ongoing psychological evaluations for our officers just to ensure that they are fit to, to serve and to protect the community. Starting in 2018, Colorado lawmakers have made millions of dollars available for officer mental health services, but getting officers to use services is a persistent challenge. 90% of the participants in the Fraternal Order of Police survey said the stigma around getting help is huge. My dad was law enforcement officer for 30 years, and so I know it's not an easy job, and I do hope that officers who need help get it and that their departments support them in getting that support. Some do, like Vinnie Montez. Years ago, the Boulder County Sheriff's Office commander had a serious breakdown after trying and failing to save the 17-year-old kid who had been in a car accident. He talked about it in the video. I had seen so many things, uh, heard so many things, experienced so many things, that I was angry because I never dealt with those emotions. I just packed them away. He started going to therapy, got into comedy, started feeling a lot better. Fast forward to a recent summer evening in Boulder. The sheriff's office is hosting a block party. Kids are climbing all over a patrol car. People are eating tacos from a food truck. Vinny loves this stuff. This event right here gives us the opportunity to show people the, I guess, the normal side of what we do. People see us when they're in crisis oftentimes or when things are not going well. He's laughing, smiling, taking pictures with kids, chatting up the neighbors, even dancing a little bit. But there's always going to be people just like the people across the street right now and that are going to come and protest us. A few people have appeared holding signs that say defund the police, no justice, no peace. This is kind of an, a, a little microcosm of It is everything. a very microcosm of everything, but this is the reality of where we're at in 2021. Avil, excuse me, because I need to make sure we're going to be okay here. A lot has changed for law enforcement in Boulder since the start of 2020. In-person events like this one are happening again, and morale is improving. But tension over policing persists, as incidents of excessive force keep happening across the state. Lee Patterson, KUNC. Coming up after a break, we'll look at how policing is changing at one apartment complex in Boulder where 911 calls have drastically increased over the past few years. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Today, we're taking an in-depth look at how policing in Boulder has changed over the past year. 
While many protesters and advocates have called for major reforms like defunding the police, other kinds of change are more subtle, slow-moving, and deeply personal. As KUNC's Scott Franz reports, at one apartment complex in Boulder where the crime rate is high, the question on the minds of residents is how much policing is the right amount. On a warm summer afternoon, people are out and about at the San Juan del Centro apartments. It's lively. On a good day, it's fun. Sonia Sarabia has been raising her four children in this mostly Hispanic and Latino apartment complex for 14 years. It was Boulder's first low-income subsidized housing when it was built 50 years ago. As we walk around the open space in the middle of the sprawling complex of two-story red and green buildings, we see dozens of children climbing on a playground, and the oldest residents are sitting at a small picnic table nearby playing Lotteria, a Spanish card game similar to bingo. Hola, buenas. Oh, they're asking if you're going to bring the money to play. <laughs> <laughs> too, too high stakes for me. <laughs> Sarabia knows all of these women very well. The San Juan community is tight-knit, and she trusts most of her neighbors. Even with our kids, um, if, we, if even one of us have to go run an errand, you can ask your neighbor, hey, can you watch out my kid for five minutes? I'll be right back. But when Sarabia tells other people she lives here, these are not the first things that come to mind. They think that just because we live in San Juan that we're drug dealers, that we um, have guns, that we beat up people, <laughs> that it's, but it's not. Like, it's something that we got stereotyped because of what happened 20 years ago. According to a memo written by a cop assigned to the complex, things got so bad and violent here in the 1980s, police were not allowed to patrol the area without backup. In the 1990s, a 16-year-old shot another boy in the face with a handgun. A police report at the time labeled the community as a, quote, haven for criminal activity. Still, these days, when the card games end and everyone goes inside, that's when Sarabia says she starts to get nervous. People start coming and try to steal things from our, our cars. Like a package containing her mom's medical equipment this year. During an earlier interview on Zoom from her bedroom, Sarabia was more blunt about the security situation. Some people are way too violent, which a lot of them have moved. But when they, some of them, they're still giving them chances, which it's not helpful for the community. She says people are frustrated about how sometimes they'll file police reports and then nothing happens, while others fear that even calling police could get undocumented immigrants living here in trouble. 911 calls from this apartment complex have nearly tripled since 2017. And for the last three years, it's been Officer Raul Montano's job to try to turn things around. We try to connect with people. We try to make sure the people are not seeing us there as a law enforcement capacity all the time, trying to enforce the law, but also as a resource. Montano is part of a team of officers who regularly patrol this area. He grew up in Mexico, which he says helps him connect with the residents. I feel like it's easier for me to build rapport just going in there and speaking the language, speaking Spanish to them and knowing where they came from and them knowing where I came from. You know, it's just, it, I feel like you're able to build that connection easier. And that's unique for the Boulder Police, which had only 7% of its officers identify as Hispanic last year. Still, there's tension. People try to 
pusher buttons, you know, telling me like race trader and all this other stuff, you know, obviously because they think because we're the same race or same heritage, they're going to get pretty free passes, you know, but I learned how to adapt to that. Figuring this out is important to Montano. He says growing up, his family distrusted the police and would not report crimes because of that stigma. Montano's team included four officers when it started. But because a lot of other officers have left the department recently due to stressors related to COVID and the statewide effort to reform policing, Montano says his team is now half the size, and he's not sure how much longer he'll be on the beat. If staffing keeps decreasing, we might get pulled back to go back and patrol citywide. But at the end of the day, what success will really mean to me is if there's no need for police presence there at all. Meanwhile, Boulder Police Chief Maris Harold is working on a new strategy for the San Juan Apartments, one that does not depend as much on sending more officers to the area, essentially less policing, something many communities have been pushing for since last summer's protests. It's part of a broader reform effort that started two years ago after an officer wrongfully pulled a gun on a black man who was picking up trash outside of his dorm at Naropa University. In your neighborhood, would you want the police there, you know, on the hour, every hour? It would be really weird, wouldn't it? And that thinking is a departure from her predecessors, who opened a police office inside the San Juan apartment complex in the 1990s and ramped up patrols after a similar spike in calls to police. Harold is convinced that a fresh look at crime data will eventually eliminate the need for a permanent police presence. What we do know is that many of the calls are for assaults and domestic violence. There's a small number of units that are contributing to a larger proportion of the calls for service. So we have to get in there and figure out why. Do they need services? She calls this tactic crime science. Harold used a similar data-driven approach in Cincinnati to tackle a spike in shootings. I will guarantee you by the time we're done with our analysis, I'll be able to pinpoint specific units that are contributing to the overall problems in San Juan. And then the way we we're looking at domestic violence, will I be able to collaborate with people that can actually stop the cycle of domestic violence? I will be able to do that. But first, she is working to empower the property managers and residents to help change the trajectory. When she toured the apartments herself earlier this year, it caused a bit of a stir. It also revealed some of the challenges that lie ahead. Trust from the community, uh, Hispanic community to the police, there are a big gap in between. Luz Galicia is a housing organizer who has been working to improve the security situation at the apartments for the last two years. She said some residents were initially suspicious when they saw the city's top cop in their neighborhood. We got a few phone calls and say, what are they doing here? So we explained. I was able to explain they're doing this. Maybe from the kids was like a oops. There's going to be more police patrols around. Now I have to be in my house where my parents asked me to be. But for the parents of this community, it was a relief to know that there were more um, uh, patrols, security patrols. Galicia also helped the San Juan community create a brand new leadership council, or a more informal homeowners association to advocate for the residents. That led to the group sending a letter to the property manager of the San Juan del Centro Apartments, with a long list of concerns ranging from broken locks and common areas to drug deals and parking lots. My dream is to work in collaboration with them because if you just work with one part of the team, it's gonna be hard. 
Galicia says many residents are also asking for more help from the police department. The pandemic interrupted another series of meetings this year that were going to connect residents with law enforcement, but new connections are still being made over Zoom. Well, now Chief Harold knows that there is a problem, but she's no, she doesn't have magic. And that includes elevating residents like Sonia Sarabia, who says she will keep speaking out about the security concerns, despite worries she will ruffle some feathers. We reached out to several other San Juan residents and the property manager, but Sarabia was the only one to come forward. She's viewed as a spokesperson for residents about their security concerns. I want to help my community and for my community to feel safe again and be able to walk at any time of the night and feel like, oh no, nothing's going to happen to me. That's what the what I wish for. And at a time many are calling to defund and limit police presence, Sarabia is asking Chief Harold for the opposite. We want for them to be present. And that's what, um, that's our next step, to get more of our residents to get together and then talk to arrange a meeting with her so we can start taking action. Meanwhile, Chief Harold says the city has assigned a new data analyst who is diving deeper into the calls at the apartment complex to help guide a more targeted approach. And they're actively shifting to less policing, instead bringing in social workers and other city departments to take on some of those roles. Scott Franz, KUNC. Before we wrap up, we sat down with Lee and Scott to learn what the Boulder County Sheriff's Office and the Boulder Police Department are doing to recruit new officers, since both agencies are seeing a record number of personnel leaving. Lee, is this trend of losing officers happening everywhere, or is it unique to Colorado, given the state's police reform legislation that was passed last year? It's a little hard to generalize. According to a recent national survey by a group called the Police Executive Research Forum, there's been an 18% increase in resignations and a 45% increase in retirements. In Colorado, I did talk with other departments, um, Aurora PD, Boulder PD, Steamboat PD. They've all reported major departures uh, you know, over the last year or year and a half. The tricky thing is that statewide numbers don't actually reflect this trend. The number of separations reported to the attorney general's office last year was actually down slightly compared to the previous couple of years. What do the sponsors of Colorado police reform legislation make of the fact that some departments are losing people? Representative Leslie Harrod was one of the prime sponsors of the police reform bill, and she's skeptical that the legislation has much to do with these early retirements and departures because, she says, departments in other states without recent reforms are losing officers as well. And so what that says is that specific reform efforts aren't actually contributing to the attrition. She basically thinks there's been a culture shift that attitudes towards policing have changed. And I attribute that to the excessive use of force cases that we're seeing um, and the body camera footage that we're seeing of law enforcement officers harming the community. A lot of folks just don't want to associate with that and that kind of profession. And so I believe that the reform efforts that we're doing here in Colorado um, will eventually lead to better um, recruitment for higher quality law enforcement officers. Scott, how is recruiting going a year after lawmakers passed all of these reforms? Well, Representative Harrod is correct that some departments are starting to pursue a different cast of officers. They 
think that, you know, recruiting a different type of officer is key to their reform efforts. For example, in Boulder, Police Chief Maris Harold has a goal of recruiting 30% women officers. She says studies have shown that female officers don't use uh, force quite as often as, as male officers do. But on the other hand, Chief Harold also tells me that recruiting right now is really challenging and, and meeting those goals is going to be tough. The combination of the pandemic, you know, the policing crisis after George Floyd murder, all of it adds up to it's a very hard time to attract talented people. I also want to ask about the diversity of candidates. Some departments are trying to make their police forces more representative of the communities that they serve. How are those efforts being affected? Chief Harold says her department is not as diverse as she would like it to be. Uh, she says there are recruiting challenges in Colorado, um, but she stresses that she wants officers with the diversity of perspectives, people from different countries, backgrounds, different professions before they join the force, and ultimately well-educated. Uh, and research does indicate that the more education an officer has, the less likely they are to use physical force. Lee, let me bring you back in here for a moment. How have departures and then trouble hiring affected operations? Well, I think the situation is constantly changing, but uh, Joe Pelly, the Boulder County Sheriff, did say that staffing shortages have made it more difficult to prevent some types of crimes um, like auto theft, for example. On the other hand, that department is making do with fewer people. Uh, Pelly described creating an online reporting system for low-level issues like losing a license plate rather than sending out deputies to respond to those calls. And Pelly also says that hiring within his department has stabilized somewhat. Thank you both so much for joining us. You're welcome. My pleasure. That's our show for today. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman, Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. 